On this episode of Commerce and Chill, we take you behind the scenes at the RELA Asset Protection Conference 2022. RELA stands for Retail Industry Leaders Association, and I was honored to be among the leaders in retail looking at asset protection, that is keeping the people, the property, the the, the merchandise safe within different retail establishments, um, and then giving them recommendations on how they can mitigate bias in their asset protection routines. This is important because I hear people all the time saying, I want a platform. I want to be a speaker. I want to be on stages. I want to be on the internet. Yeah, you could do all of that, but it's work. My friend Karen Osario from H&M, we worked on our presentation, our panel for over nine months. That's right. Nine months to bring people one hour of content, you know, just like here at Commerce and Chill behind the scenes, we put in a lot of work. So you get 29 minutes of great content. And so just look at some of the details of what we did while we were in Orlando at the conference and some of the people that we met and understand that there is responsibility, great responsibility that comes with having a platform with being a voice and that it's not just about showing up, but you have to do your research. You have to understand what people are looking to hear. You have to be able to address people's questions. So hopefully in the next 29 or so minutes, you'll get to see outtakes and intakes from the RELA conference. You'll get to see some of the people we met and you'll get to get some ideas about if you're like, if you're interested in creating your own platform or speaking, what it takes, hit us up. Leave comments, like button, subscribe. Um, you won't see my buddy Waleed. Nah, he was missing in action today for, for the conference. Um, but this should hold you over until he's back in the driver's seat, driving commerce and chill with me. So we hope you enjoy this episode and we'll see you soon. Good morning. Good morning. Oh no. Come on. I live off of your energy. Good morning. Good 
I am so glad to see you. And as Faith mentioned, we hope that you are here to hear about mitigating bias in loss prevention. Our conversation is going to be a continuation of some of the themes that we heard earlier today. So it's not a DEI talk, it's not a culture talk, but we all realize the importance of understanding bias and addressing it as we serve as brand ambassadors in our capacity as asset protectors. And hopefully we'll share some information with you that, will, that you can take back to your teams and your organizations and at least be more aware of the biases, both implicit and unconscious, that you and your colleagues and that all of us have, um, and that may be stopping us from doing the best that we can do. The last two years have been brutal to the retail industry. And as a result, the bad actors have found ways to be more innovative than ever before. That has put a burden on us as asset protection professionals to catch up to them and be even more creative in the techniques that we employ to prevent shrink and to keep our people, our facilities, and our products safe. So in the next 30 minutes or so, I'm going to talk to our two colleagues here on the stage and they're going to share some of the approaches that they're taking within their organizations. We're going to share some information from a recent RELA um, poll to see what some of our other peers are doing and then we want to leave some time for question at the end. We're going to make this engaging and interactive so we'll also include some poll questions to get your feedback about what you and your organizations are doing. So to get started, Karen, why is it important that we understand bias in retail asset protection? Thank you, Jessica, and thank you, everybody, for being here today. Um, and Faith and um, Aaron, thank you so much for all the support and help you've given us through this year and a half. Um, so, so why is it important to understand bias in retail? I mean, to say we, we are dealing day in and day out with very complex situations, very complex um, employees, customers that are in our stores. So. Uh, that in itself is already very important for all of us to be aware that we have to understand what are those bias that are going on, um, that we have in our minds, that may be also happening in our locations. I think too, for many of us, we are not able to be in those locations. So also understanding, I have um, a, a very important point as well, we have to understand the bias because depending on what industry you're in, turnover is very high. So that also means that the likelihood of mistakes happening is also high. It's something that I don't like to, um, we don't want it to be a reality, but it is a reality. And the more conscious we are about that reality, the more we can work with internal stakeholders, whether it is the ENI, um, HR, the experts, right? Because I think uh, while my expertise might be in asset protection, LP crisis, um, I also need to understand that I need to partner with the right people to say, hey, this is what I have in mind, this is what I want to do. Um, I, I mentioned we have locations throughout um, also the country, so it, it's important to understand bias because the way that customers and employees might be in New York is not the same way that they're in Arizona. They're not, they're not the same in LA or even New Mexico. And for those of us dealing also and working with other countries, 
Um, what happens in South America is not the same thing. The, the way that the employees, the customers are in those countries is not the same as in the, in the US or in one city specifically. And last but not least, I would say if, um, if we have bias, we also have to understand that's already an open door to potentially make a mistake. So we, we have to have it frontline. We have to understand that we need to understand that bias because that helps us be better leaders and consequently as well just keep mistakes zero or to a minimum. Now, Karen, you mentioned during the introduction that your role is a little bit different than what's listed on the slide. So can you just tell the folks here with us today what you're currently doing? Sure, absolutely. So um, I, I was the U.S. Security Manager um, the beginning of 2020 for H&M. I came from an assignment in South America and Colombia, and as of last year, I took over uh, security and compliance, so leaving that for the Americas, which encompasses Canada, all the way down to Chile, Peru, and Uruguay. Chile, Peru, and Uruguay, okay. Lonnie, what's your take on why understanding bias is important in retail asset protection? We are companies that employ people and that serve people. And we all bring our perspectives of life to when we walk through the door. It's all of our, our experiences, it's all of the things that we have each had in, um, in our day-to-day -day living as we've grown up. Uh, we bring those to the door and uh, to the door, to the store. And then we try to think about well, how am I going to best serve this customer? How am I going to best serve my team, taking all of my experiences and bringing those to bear? But bias can also, if we haven't had great experiences, um, color how we may look at things, how we may look at people, how we may get through the day. One of the things that happens, because we each have our own filters, is um, it can affect how we interact with individuals. And the challenge with retail is we want to be there for everybody because guess what? We're in business and we would like them to open their wallets and make our day great. So what we have to do is we have to make sure that we are being welcoming and open and thoughtful about the needs of those folks that are coming in the door, no matter what they look like, no matter their gender, no matter how we were raised or the filters through which we're looking at the world. Right? I think everybody would agree. We all want to be treated well, and we need to make sure our associates, or in our case, for AutoZone, AutoZoners, that we're taking care of each and every customer, no matter where they're coming from, no matter their situation, because that's our job, our job is to serve. So we can't treat people differently because one is wearing a hoodie and one is not, because one is carrying a big bag and one is not, or simply because we're having a bad day. It has to be the same. So that's why we create, because of human behaviors, to be variable. That's why we create policies and procedures to create practices that allow us and require us to treat everybody coming through our doors and treat each other as close to the same as we can. Because at the end of the day, to create a welcoming shopping environment for all, we have those policies and procedures that create guide rails for our employees to follow 
And so they don't have to guess. So they understand what our expectation is, so we can remove the bias. And when we go against our policies and procedures, a lot of times, that's when we get into trouble. So policies, procedures are really designed to mitigate bias. And the closer we teach our, audit, our employees to follow those, the more likelihood we're going to be able to give consistent shopping experience to, to everyone. Now, those are some compelling reasons and understanding why bias comes into play in retail asset protection. So just to level set, uh, according to Merriam-Webster, this is how she or they define bias. It's an inclination or temperament of outlook, especially a personal and sometimes unreasoned judgment or prejudice. Now, we don't want it to come across as if, as if it's negative, right? Because we all have biases. Where it does have a negative impact on how we execute our roles is when it comes to unconscious bias. And so here's an overview of what we mean when we talk about unconscious bias. It's those attitudes or stereotypes that affect our understanding and actions. So when Lonnie says it's about the protocols, the processes, and the procedures, when we take the personal side out of it, then we're in a better position to help mitigate the potential biases. But at first, we have to understand what those biases are and be proactive about addressing the unconscious biases that we ourselves and our teams may have. Ladies. So moving forward, get to the right page first though. Over the last two years, a lot has happened. We've been stuck inside the house. Many of us have been on Zoom. The nature of how we engage consumers has changed and how our consumers engage our brands has changed. What are some of the innovative approaches that the AP teams within your organizations are using or have implemented during the last two years? Great question. Um, I think for H&M specifically, and I have also some on my team here as well, we've had to think outside the box. I, I joke around a lot um, that when I, I started the role in 2020, I said, someone forgot to train me on dealing with a pandemic. Like, how do you, how do you navigate to this, right? So, and there was no textbook. There was nothing that told us how, what do we do now? So I, I think one of the things that we, some of the, the examples that I will show are either we had it and we had to now make them even more apparent and, and share them more within our stores, and some of them were completely new. So I will start with the escalation. So I think this one was, was huge because, of course, I mean, a lot of us had the privilege to be home, but in reality, when we talk about retailers in our stores, we, when we opened back up, we had our team here, right? And yes, while we're trying to make profit, our teams, we have to understand the human part of it, that they were afraid. They didn't know, they were dealing with maximum capacities, they were dealing with people um, that were either not wearing a face mask, and um, the authorities at the time said legislation, you have to wear it. So how do they handle those situations? And again, I mentioned it in my first um, question and answer, is we have high turnover. So we have people that are brand new, three, uh, you know, zero, three months in our locations that how were they taught also in their training how to de-escalate a situation with a, a customer that is not very happy. So 
those are ones that, and I mentioned those two examples, but it's a lot of other de-escalation techniques that we had to come together with customer service, with HR, with DE&I, because again, we could talk about the safety, the LP side, but what is the right thing? Even also with communications, what is the right thing to say to the customer and how, what, what is the right thing to say to the customer, but it, what is also the right thing for the employee to say, so that they also feel comfortable and have that, um, that level of comfort. We've also um, um, vamped up our LP incident tracker form. So internally to it, we, we have 500 plus stores throughout the US, and while we would love to have security presence in every single one, it's very difficult. It's also a reality that, that we have. So constantly we're thinking, what is the best, how, where do we put our resources? Do we put it in the stores in New York? Do we put it in LA? Where do we put it in the store that just had um, a, a situation that escalated? So. An LP incident tracker form, pretty much we encourage all of our stores that if there is any situation around theft, shoplifting, put it in the LP incident tracker form, put it at the time that it happened, what department, what was taken, because then what the goal that we have is based on that information, we can say around what time are things happening? Is it happening more in a store? Uh, more than others, because we want to also remove that feeling of people are stealing or people are shoplifting and actually go with the reality of what is really happening. Um, also, we've always been hands off, but also reiterating, and, and I, I wish that I could say we've never had a situation where someone didn't chase someone out of our, the store. So when I say someone, an employee, but reiterating, zero tolerance. You don't chase anyone, you don't, your safety, your health is priority, and Again, I, I, I want to be as genuine as possible, um, but the reality is unsafe situations are happening even more. Um, our employees are at the front end of what's happening, and they care about their job. They care <coughs> about the store. So we have seen that that frustration in a few incidents leads to, let me try to get that back where there's $500 worth of merchandise, because that is also a reality. So reiterating zero tolerance to hands off, um, no chasing anyone. I mentioned HR partnerships. Um, we also, in the past couple of years, we are now installing CCTV, but remote viewing. So something that we also kicked off even more in the past year and a half is how do we convert more stores to remote viewing to make sure that we can support anything that we can from our different locations of where our security teams are. Um, and then, uh, we do consistent risk assessments, so we did them always once a year, but now we do them even more um, because we do see um, crises happening even more. So our primary face is always genuine interest in people, so how do we, how is the shift happening when it comes to all of that? And just to, just a couple last points, this is more in partnership also with um, HR and DE&I, we have also, when it comes to the trainings around unconscious bias, layers, we have lead programs where we identify leaders within the organization and also be able to, to share with them and train a little more about things that we do so they can be that extension of us. Those sound like some great concepts now. Lonnie, I understand in AutoZone, you don't have designated LP professionals in the stores. Not directly. So tell us a little bit about some of the innovative approaches that AutoZone is taking, especially these past two years. Well, I gotta, I gotta give a shout out to, to my LP team. Um, some, of, some of them are here, and thank you very much for participating and being here. Um, our regional loss prevention managers are responsible um, and partners within 
a region, and region is about 100 stores or so. And so the RLPM is coach, trainer, partner. Um, they have a, a, a reporting tool that allows them to identify stores that may need a little bit more help in their uh, coaching and understanding of our policies and procedures. But they also make regular visits to all stores in their region to keep all of the policies and practices and guidelines front and center of our management teams and auto zoners. Um, they, are, they also are investigators, they're also analysts, and in, uh, at the Store Support Center, our headquarters, we have a terrific group of, of analysts who are also looking at our trend reports and our roll-up reports that start at the store and go all the way up through the entire hierarchy to kind of identify kind of what's going on in the different markets and, and look at hotspots where um, shrink is increasing or inventories might be slightly off. Um, I do, I wanna talk about really quick two things that happened during COVID that we put into place and thanks to our, our loss prevention team, they really made sure that our auto zoners and customers stayed really safe. And um, the, the first thing we think about when it came to COVID was the physical security of our customers and our employees. So if you walk into our stores today, you see that like, all of, like many of you, maybe all of you, um, at the cash registers and also in our parts counter, we have good solid barriers that are not flimsy things. They're very good solid barriers to kind of keep it, that, that social distancing maintained. And there were very particular ways to get that set up and make sure they didn't fall over on people because they're very heavy metal, metal bars that hold those things up. So our LP team took on that responsibility along with the, in partnership with our field management teams to get those set up really, really, really fast. Really fast, like uh, in a matter of a couple of weeks. As soon as they started arriving, they were coming out and they were getting set up. Again, keeping our autos under safe, maintaining social distance and making sure the barriers were set up through COVID, and also reinforcing the mask mandates where they were required. And I don't know if you all remember, remember gloves when we all first started out? Yeah, we had to make sure we had all those pieces and parts. And since we have stores in um, the United States everywhere, um, you know, they also had to keep up with the different state and local mandates depending upon where everything, um, where everything manifests itself. So um, it's a terrific partnership. We've done a number of things with physical security and then on the other side of it uh, for us, we have uh, um, also spent a lot more time in the digital communication space. Uh, making sure that we're really communicating effectively what the expectations are and that we're reinforcing what our safety guidelines and protocols are to make sure that we have that safe and welcoming shopping environment. So if I can summarize what I'm hearing you say so far, part of the changes that you've made in your AP routines include looking out for the safety of your team members as well as of the customers who are coming into your establishment, uh, communicating what are the policies, what are the expectations, and what are the safety standards, but also documenting and getting data on the specific incidents that are happening. And all the ladies who may have attended the women in um, 
asset protection breakfast this morning, that was one of the points that came up. Cons documentation and consistency in the data that you get in case you have to share that with law enforcement because that helps them on their side when they're trying to follow up um, with on incidents that may be happening not just in your store, not just in your area, but on a much larger scale. And because you've been able to implement some of those things, you're seeing an improvement in how your team members receive this information. And we still have a challenge when we talk about the bad actors that we've been talking about during the conference, but you feel like your, your organizations are in a better position because of some of the things that you've implemented over the past two years. Is that accurate? Absolutely, absolutely. We've been, AutoZone has been really fortunate. We were deemed an essential retailer right at the beginning of the pandemic, so our store stayed open, the AutoZoner stayed on the counter. We kept selling auto parts to people who needed to get their, their kids to wherever they were going and to get to their jobs and keep the American economy going. Um, but we had to put these safety protocols in place, and it was really largely due to the efforts of our field management teams and our loss prevention teams that we were able to get all of that put in place quickly. Awesome. I see we have a few questions coming, and we're going to jump into our first poll question. Do you believe your organization has an effective system in place to address implicit bias in LP internally? If you have the app on your phone, I encourage you to go on and answer the poll question. As soon as we can get the internet connection, and if we can't, we'll just keep it moving. <laughs> okay, let's do a show of hands. There we go. Oh, no, that's the next question. So the options are no, yes, and I don't know. So if your organization does have an effective system in place to address implicit bias, please raise your hand. If I were at a sorority meeting, we'll have somebody who would go and count. Okay, put your hands down. <laughs> All right, and if you think your organization does not have an effective system in place, please raise your hand. Don't be shamed, don't be shamed. And if you don't know, if you don't know, raise both hands. <laughs> All right, so it seems like more hands went up for yes, there is an effective system in place than no, there is not. Um, we were able to grab, oh, here we go. Oh, so yes, 73% of those who responded said yes. That's positive, that's encouraging, um, because in recent real data, when a question was asked, how does your company develop a policy to mitigate bias discrimination in your company's merchandise protection plan, we see the majority of, of respondents replied no. And so it may not be all of our jobs to do it, but even in just having these conversations, it's motivation for us to work with our colleagues internally to see how do we bridge the gap between what our system is and what programs we put in place to address bias so that we keep our brands shining in a positive light. We keep customers coming into our stores and spending money, and that we stay out of the news or off of social media. All right. Poll question. Which teaching method, because the ladies talked about training, which teaching method have you found most effective in training your LP and AP employees bias training? Online training, 
role plays or scenario and response, classroom style training, other, or none. If you have the app, go ahead and respond. We're gonna give it a time to catch up. And I noticed one of the things Crystal had from Elta on her slide was that addressing bias was a very specific goal that they had and that they took steps to do it. And so whether it's part of your ESG goals, whether it's part of your overall corporate strategies, whether your board members are holding you accountable, because in our private conversations, you've talked about Lonnie Howe at AutoZone, your board actually came up and said, we have an expectation, at least with diversity within the organization. Um, but what, how does that link and connect to bias? This is the poll. It's not showing up. It's not showing up. So, so far, everyone said role-playing scenario response is found most effective. Okay, role-play scenario response is most effective. Okay, we're going to do a role-play at the end of this. Steps. Just playing. Just playing. Just wanted to see if you're still awake. All right, and then with the, recent, with the recent poll data that we incorporated, the question was, does your company provide bias training customized for LP and AP employees? Because the role that LP and AP may be extremely different than what our frontline associates or salespeople are doing, and so maybe that, that training needs to be tweaked. 66% or 66.7% of respondents said no. Two-thirds of respondents said no, that the, the companies don't provide customized LP training. So that might be an area of opportunity as we're working with our teams. And it doesn't have to be anything grandiose, but we have, to, we have the opportunity to start somewhere. May I add something to this? Sure. One thing that I want to add to, to these poll questions is, as security professionals, we have to be vulnerable to, to say there is no training. Because I think that's the first step of really being able to address this topic that is very important. So, so I think that looking at the poll and even the different answers, don't be afraid. Again, I, I, I'll be the first one to say I am not the expert in the AI. So I, I need that expert with me at the table. I'll work with my team on some suggestions and, and we'll put some proposals on the table. But we also need that expertise. This could be an issue. And you mentioned social media. You mentioned other things. I think, yes, that, that is the extreme that we never want to get to. But we don't want to make a mistake that portrays that, hey, that's who we are, when really it's not. And we actually made a mistake just based on lack of information. So I just encourage all of us in the room to be able to self-reflect, um, leading teams in different organizations in different industries, to have those difficult conversations so that together we can put things in place and address a difficult subject that is difficult to address sometimes. Okay. Can I ask a question? Sure. So I have a question for all of you. How many of you have actually gone through an unconscious bias training program uh, either independently or with your company? How many of you found it impactful in how you, how you now kind of look at the world? Yeah. This stuff matters, and the challenge is, is that our frontline employees, they don't get this, right? They, they don't get the benefit of it. But they do get other things. Um, in, in, our in, in our company, one of the things within our culture, frontline employees go through a foundations training. So a fundamental part of our culture, because we have smaller stores, is something we call drop, stop, 30, 30. Greet the customer, drop and stop, 
what you're doing to greet the customer in 30 feet or 30 seconds. Do we do it 100% of the time? No. <laughs> We're busy, right? We, you're on two-person mins, what are you going to do, right? But the practice is there, the, the, the program is there, the reinforcement is there, and it's a fundamental part of AutoZone's culture to greet that customer, look, at, look them in the eye and say, what can I help you with today? So if you come into a store and you're thinking, well, I'm going to go and pick up that tool set and walk out because nobody's looking at me, when somebody greets you, you might change your mind. And so essentially, all of our employees, all of our auto owners, become asset protection protectors um, from the very first day with DropStop 3030. So thinking about doing this consistently across your entire workforce, imagine the possibility of turning every single one of your employees into someone who is responsible and feels accountable for taking care of what's in that store and making sure, most important, they're taking care of the customer. Greeting that customer from the very first point or as soon as they can find them. That, that's been really powerful for us and because we do it with every customer, the bias concern is alleviated. And to, to put a corny take on that, if you have this built into your culture, then everyone becomes a bias buster. I love that, that's great. Everybody becomes a bias buster. Um, just very quickly, some of the political and civil unrest has really led to damaging effects in the retail space. In particular, the George Floyd incident um, rolled over into many retail establishments. How did the George Floyd incident change how you train your team members about potential bias? Do you want me to go first? I'll go first. All right. <laughs> well, we didn't change anything. Okay. We had practices already that, that again, as I mentioned, drops off 30-30. Um, we also have a practice called it takes two to say no. So if you have a, a concern, you have a question, you're looking at something that doesn't seem quite right, you get somebody else involved to make sure that you're, you're really not inferring something is happening that, it, that may not. It just may be the filters through which you're looking at something. Again, it's kind of hard when you're really busy and you're only two-person men, but it gets done because it's important for that customer experience for the, for the employee to stay safe. Those are two fundamental pieces of our culture. Um, policies and procedures uh, were reinforced. We reinforced and, and increased the amount of communication around DropStop 3030 and making sure that we were um, taking care of each other and checking in on each other. That became really important because when you're in your store, you're a family. Right? You spend more time with most of those people than many other family members. Sometimes that's good. Um, but, <laughs> but um, you know, at the end of the day, we didn't have to change anything fundamentally. We really reinforced how much we care. We re reinforced our pledge and values to, to um, help auto owners get through this really difficult time. Karen? Um, I would say, did it change anything directly? I mean, we, we've always had different types of trainings. Um, again, I think from a, a security perspective, we have some trainings, but we don't also want to be too separated from the business because we're still part of 
a big organization. So I, I'm not going to speak again, but I mentioned layers of conscious bias, the lead program, CRG groups is something that was also, uh, that is new, but it was out of another strategy that we had. Um, I would like to say and, and highlight that during the George Floyd period, we have to understand that we were go going from COVID. Um, a lot, of, a lot of us, I would say, um, I would speak for us, we had to reduce our teams almost 50%. So we have a team that is feeling anxious because we don't know what the future of the company is. We don't know where all of our future is. And then now I'm asking them to deal with such uh, a taxing and, and mentally draining situation of how do you navigate? How do you support your store teams around that? So I think one of the most important things is really like checking in on the teams. Hey, how, how is everyone doing? And I think that as security professionals, a lot of times it's, we really do have to take that first step and just check in. Um, can someone even deal with that situation? Can someone even support the stores that just got looted, destroyed, almost total loss? Are they, are they able to support them? You know, and if they aren't, it's okay. We, we any of us could be in a situation where mentally we can't deal with that. So I think the first step was, was really allowing ourselves to ask those questions and giving our teams the freedom to say, I'm mentally not okay, so that we can have a plan, a plan B. Um, uh, being empathetic, you know, I think it's also very important. During that time as well, it is really, and even right after, I mean, how much more, how much can we control the situation? We really can't control the, the situation that's going on externally, but we can control inside what we can do. So again, crisis um, scenario trainings, we have three phases of the crisis that we manage at H&M. So primary um, phase is always genuine interest in people. So if um, during that primary phase, you heard anyone talking about business continuity, that's not priority. Right now we're talking about the well-being of our colleagues, of each other. We're, we're making sure that our customers are safe, our vendors are safe, and if we have to close stores for a week, then we have to close stores for a week. We'll worry about opening up when we have things under control. Um, and I think those, those are just some things that helped us navigate the situation, um, but new things, not so much. It was just more, let's use what we have and do it more periodically, do it more often and being empathetic and having honest conversations. We're gonna transition into some of your questions. I just wanted to add quickly, checking in on the team members is very important. And some people in the audience might think, well, that's not a specific asset protection routine or technique, but it is because we need our asset protection professionals to be present and to be alert. And if we're not addressing this other stuff, then it makes it a lot harder for them to do that and for them to do the jobs that we need them to do. So when we as organizations show that we care, then we see the results of that. Um, and I think Oscar mentioned something in his, in his presentation earlier today. If we switch up how we can engage, we can make a positive difference. So we make a positive difference on our teams. We make a positive difference on the results that we get in our roles. So one of the questions, one of the first questions we have is, how can you measure if your bias mitigation strategies are working or not? Who, who, who sent that question in? Stand up. What's your name? My name is And what's your organization? So I work for Macy's, and we do uh, work for training and So you know, we have a couple of good things in place, but we always struggle with it. Is it 
question. I'm curious, I think y'all were commenting about Great question. Thank you for your question. Uh, I got, so thanks to my DEIs, uh, the divisional investigators, they gave me an answer to that. <laughs> um, when when you go to when you are taken to court, which we all don't want to have happen, but sometimes it does, and the um, attorneys say, this is what happened, this person was called out because of their race, gender, whatever. And the judge is presented with information, <coughs> facts that you have about your practices, your policies, how they're executed, and specific examples of how they're executed for every customer, and throws out the case. That's probably a, a really good example of seeing, seeing that the, the practices you have are working the way you expect them to. Hopefully you never have to get to that point, but that is certainly one of those situations that kind of made us feel, okay, we, we're doing the right things, we had the facts to bring to the case, and, um, and the judge was able to um, just say, this is not a viable, not, not a viable um, case because autism treats everybody that way. Um, so I'm gonna, um, that's, that's the example that, that uh, our DIs gave us. They said, we're really, we're really pleased to be able to make these cases when we have to, because we have the facts to show. Yeah. Great question. Um, I, I actually ask myself the same question often. Like, how do, how do, we, how do we measure this? But it, do we have a specific KPI? I would, short answer is no. But, we do, sometimes when I reflect is I wish we could also track how many times we do things well. Because we do get a lot from customer service, we also get from our people around um, the country, our multi-area security managers saying, look, like we got positive reinforcement on, on this or positive feedback. Um, but some things that we do sometimes look at, right, is when things do happen, like lawsuits. Again, those are things that we, we do navigate through. Um, to see what what happened, um, so we use that at times. Um, the, the, we don't have too many tangible um, situations to do it, but I think again, when we look at, we have to have the conversation on the table when we are also planning for the years to come as well, and, and for the upcoming years, really looking at also what what do our KPIs look like, and even though specifically for H and M, we're very connected to Sweden, which is where we're headquartered, and our KPIs are very closely um, to them, we also have to have a big say, especially in bigger markets. So that's some things too that we, we look at, how, how do we measure things like this? Is it effective? Um, do we have less um, situations where, you know, someone is either, um, not attacking, but, you know, making a decision based on demographics or things like that. Um, so we're working on it. We have to be aware, and it's not an easy answer to, to come up with. When we do, we'll, we'll look for you and try to see if we can share. But that does create an opportunity, right? Because as AP leaders, we can go back to our organizations and say, these are the KPIs that, need to, that we think make sense. Um, and if 
if we don't say that those are the KPIs we're going to look at, then no one's ever going to measure it. And then how do we know whether or not what we're doing is working? Which leads to the next question. How do you mitigate bias in, a physical, in the physical descriptions necessary for APLP reporting? Who asked that question? Okay. What's your name? Justice And what's your organization? REI. REI? REI. Thank you for the question. And I like your question because this is something that we talked about as we were preparing in terms of reporting, capturing data, and what was written. Um, ladies, what feedback do you have to her question? Can you repeat the question? Sure. How do you mitigate bias in the physical descriptions necessary for APLP reporting? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I think when we focus on narrative, we have to be as specific as, as possible using um, the tools that, that we have. Specifically for HM, we don't track anything that is connected to gender, any demographic. It's just more the. It's, it's a little difficult because when we, when we have our, our tech, but we haven't been apprehending for quite some time. Um, is, is we want to just focus on exactly what happened. So person X came in, this is what, what, what happened, how they did it, and following the five steps, etc. We try, try, try our absolute best to stay away from any demographics, any data, more um, just number of cases. It, it is something difficult that we work with as well. In, in your reporting, you, you have to stick to the facts. Right, six foot three, black, male, X happened, Y was the result, and, and then you turn it over. You can't embellish. Uh, we don't need interpretations of what happened. We need the facts about what happened, and only that. And that, at the end of the day, when you're trying to make sure that that individual can be identified if they show up someplace else, the, the narrative of, your, of how somebody felt about this person, well, he looked mean with shifty eyes, um, that, you know, that's not going to help, and it's going to introduce the bias that we are absolutely trying to get out of everything that we do. You have to, you have to identify the, the bad person, I guess we'll call them that, um, so that they can be recognized for future reporting or if they are caught. But you can't interpret anything. Just be very fact-based and make sure that you give the police exactly what they require. I think one thing that is very important is that whatever apprehensions we work with in different areas, it's not does not determine that now I'm going to look and assume that people that have a specific way that they look, that's who I'm going to be looking for. Absolutely not. It's again we should focus on behavior, the five steps of say we're not looking for we're not targeting anyone by gender, color of their skin, how they look, what they're wearing. Um, I think that's crucial that we don't make those decisions based on that. I would say to answer your question, it's this CYA conundrum. Right, because we want to get as much information as possible. At the same time, there's some things that we're hesitant to document because we don't want it to come back on us. And I'm saying this as 
as a somewhat outsider, but haven't spoken to a number of people about this particular topic and the, the level of discomfort some individuals have about talking about bias in uh, asset protection um, in retail. So you have to figure out what works best based on the values of your organization as well as um, what protocols you have in place. We are running short on time. So it, we didn't even get to talk about the, the technologies and the biases that are built into, that are perceived to be built into some of the, the technologies. And so we'll, we'll be available offline if you have some question about those things. But as you ladies, as we close out this session, we have a diverse group of individuals here. You have diverse backgrounds and experiences in retail. What is one thing that each of us can do to make better progress in addressing bias in asset protection and retail? I would say um, the landscape is changing. Um, and I would say uh, specifically for HNN, a retailer, I always tell my team we are not a security company. So really working very close with internal stakeholders, being united, being able to have an extra set of eyes to see and what we do is crucial to be able to make the right decisions and avoid any mistakes. Each of you has a unique culture in your company and each of you has the ability to influence the culture in your company if it's not really helping protect your customers and your employees. Making sure that all of your employees are uh, aware of their responsibility in taking care of creating a safe and welcoming shopping environment. It's not just up to the asset protection professionals. Turning them into bias busters and as well as shrink busters is, is a really important part of being an employee, right? Um, we all influence how that customer relationship is developed and we all influence the safety and, um, and ability of customers to want to shop in our stores. So each and every one of our employees has an accountability and we need to make sure that that lives in our culture so that it doesn't show up after the fact. It's just part of who we are, what we do every day, what we're trained to do from the start, and then how we can all contribute. When you do that, I think it can go a very long way to um, making the asset protection job easier, um, but also really making our businesses better for everyone. And in closing, I'd like to say thank you for showing up. Thank you. thank you for your time. For those who submitted questions, I thank you for being engaged. Um, and I ask that you all continue to commit to addressing bias. The fact that you stayed the entire session shows that it's not only interest, but something that you want to make a difference in. And we, working together, can make a difference when it comes to mitigating bias in retail asset protection. So thank you. And we look forward to answering any additional questions you may have offline. Thank you.